Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Hi, I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And together we explore all sorts of things related to relationships. And basically, we just want to make our marriages more generous and your marriages too. Today, specifically, we're going to have an interview with Ruth Maley. Ruth is actually a certified coach by PAX, which is the school that Alison Armstrong has. And she's also a parenting coach. But we're going to talk about something related to men and women. And that is related to, well, I'm, I'm getting the chills just to mention it. Uh, it's the rage monster. What yeah. is that, Shachar? That's a scary part of us that we all know. And in this episode, we also learn how to put her to sleep, how to help her calm down. And uh, guys, ladies, people that are now listening, driving your car is going to be a little bit scary, but it's super important to just talk about it openly, to acknowledge that this can happen and it's natural, but there's also a way to put the rage monster to sleep. Let's hear all about it with Ruth Maley. See you in the other hand. Enjoy. Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello, Generous Marriage Podcast. How are you, Shachar? I'm great. Hello, everybody. Hi, Ruth. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> so today, I'm Ziv Raviv, and uh, you're Shachar Erez, and together we are doing the Generous Marriage Podcast here in Season 2. We're interested in interviewing all sorts of influencers that speak our language, that understand what we're all about. And we're so excited, super stoked to talk with you, Ruth Maley. I want to introduce you and then say hello properly. So Ruth, you are a certified coach for adults, for couples, and for parents. You have your certification from the PAX Master in Certification Program, which is uh, the program that Alison Armstrong, that we keep mentioning in, that she's interviewed in, in this season. She is the person behind that institute and the, this uh, program. You've mastered topics like empowering men and empowering women, which also means that you understand both men and women quite proficiently. And that is why we got so excited after also communicating uh, over Facebook and seeing how well you notice things and how well you handle them. We're very excited to have you here. Hello, Ruth. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here and I'm honored. Thank you. So uh, we want to talk about a couple of topics today and kind of dive deeper into them and try to help people by shedding some light on a few ideas. And the first topic we're going to talk about is a little bit meta here. And talking specifically is done a little bit when we're talking about the communication between the two sexes, between men and women. Now, we are always explaining that we're not trying to generalize in a way that uh, blinds the reality and the complexity of the reality, which is that there's all sorts of colors and shades and people that has a side in them that is a little bit more feminine and the side that is a little bit masculine. But we will simplify this discussion, hopefully, and we will use the terminology of most of the men most of the time and most of the women most of the time. Do men and women, under that clarification, do they communicate differently in the way that they talk? Yes, we communicate differently and we also speak differently. 
So when we communicate differently, it's because men tend to be hunters and single focused and women tend to be gatherers and full of detail. And we talk with a lot of detail as women because we want to be able to tell you all the pieces that you need to either solve our problem or understand where we're getting to our point. Unfortunately, what happens is hunters don't need that amount of detail. And so it causes a disconnection. Women gatherers tend to be more connected, is connected through safety, through the connection that they make with the other person, whether it be male or female. Now, women can be in hunting or gathering mode. So it's one of the important things is to be able to identify which mode they're in so that you know if they're talking with more detail or not talking to more detail. And that really helps. Talking like a hunter or like a gatherer, is something that actually you can, even before talking, you can see it in the body language. So uh, like just today, I had the opportunity to have a nice evening with my parents and my kids in a, a local coffee shop. And a local lady that everyone knows walked inside and she was in hunter mode. It was like she had huge presence. It was clear that she got inside and she walked directly to where she wanted, straight ahead. And she didn't look anywhere. Like she was not open for like exchanging looks. And my mom was looking at her and she was appalled by the fact that she didn't even say hello or something. And she was not open for any connection. And she was feeling offended by the fact that she didn't try to make a connection. And immediately I told my mom, it's like maybe she's trying to get something done and she's only focused on that. And so it's really even on the body language level. Yes. And women tend to, when they are in hunting mode, they're trying to produce a result just like a male hunter is. And so that's all they're focused on. We don't have the single focus like men do. We actually have a degree of focus. So a lot of the things might come to us, but we might not be able to really put our point, our focus on them. We know what we have to produce and that's what we're doing. So yeah. But then in talking, in actually talking, there's all sorts of problems related to that. So tell us a little bit about how men talk or hunters talk differently. So hunters will automatically listen to either the point or the problem. Hunters love, men love to solve problems. Men tend to shy away from using the word problem. We use, if we do have a problem, we'll use issue or a situation. And that's because we don't want to feel weak. We don't want to think that somebody has to solve our problem. But for men, they love to solve problems. So when you tell them you have a problem, they're right on it. But sometimes we don't want them to solve our problems because we might have a different plan than they do. And we might want to solve it ourselves to empower us and not think that we're being needy by Mm -hmm. asking him to problem. We don't share the same level of attention to details because a gatherer has a procedure of how to do things correctly. Because if you won't pick up the right berry, The whole village might die. The tribe might suffer from eating poisonous berries or something. So, And they know that we are not paying. We don't pay attention to the details in the level that... So like, if you're not certified to do something and you want to fix a problem that you're not certified on... Exactly. And that's why we give so much detail. We have that diffused awareness that we're talking about so we can see everything that's going on. 
So when you see a person talking to the point, they're usually happy. So a hunter, if is listening to the point, needs to know what the point of the story is. So when you're speaking to the point, a hunter will automatically be saying, what's the point to this? What's the point to this? What's the point to this conversation? That's what his brain is doing because he's trying to figure out where are you going with this? What is it that I have to know? And most of the time it's like, get to the matter of things. Those are those questions that are going through the man's mind. And when I researched over a hundred men, I asked them a lot of different questions. And one man said that I prefer my coworkers to get to the point because it saves time. I can start solving a problem if I know what the point of it is and what's relevant to the results. So that's a big part of it. Also, not beating around the bush. They just want to know what's the point of this. And what happens is we as gatherers like to give a lot of detail because we think all those details matter. And that goes back to Cave Women Days. We needed to make sure that, like you said, we went to the right berry bush. So our instinct is also to give a lot of examples. So we can pile on information. And what happens is a hunter or a man gets really frustrated. And even a woman that's in hunting mode will get frustrated because the brain is trying to sort out what he's trying to say. It's kind of like you have a puzzle piece, a puzzle, and you don't have the picture, but you have all these pieces to the puzzle and you're trying to put them together, but you can't put them together because you don't know the point of the puzzle. So it's really important to kind of set the other person up, set the man up to give them the least amount of detail that you think that he needs because a partnership choice would be that you would ask, that he could ask, well, what else do I need to know about this? Or does this have anything to do with that? So when you're speaking to the point, you just give them the facts because again, men are factual, women are feeling based, right? And tend to be. And so when you're giving him the facts, he could actually ask you if there is any more details that he really, really needs to know. Understand the situation, the basic situations we all been there is a man and a woman is talking and the woman is sharing an entire story with a lot of details and the man is looking for what is the point in the story and there is no point to the story, so it seems. And also he might be looking for, okay, is there a problem here? I want to solve it. I want to help. I want to provide value and to protect and provide. So that's not the point of the conversation to provide the problem. So what is the point if there's no point? He's trying to produce a result would be the best thing to do from the woman's point of view if a man understands okay i need the point not look for a point what should he actually do to support his woman well first of all the woman should just can set him up to say okay this is the point of my problem so like for instance when i want my children to clean up in my daycare i'm a daycare provider and i want my children to clean up i will say your job is to clean up all the toys right and then If I were to say to them, well, you need to clean up all the toys and you need to do the blocks and you need to do this and you need to do that. I'm giving them way too much detail, right? They're not following me, especially the boys. So if you were to set them up and say, I need you to clean up the room. And then if they need more information, they will say, well, what do you want me to do? And then I can give them individual information. And it's the same with men and women. And this is with kids in what ages? I have children from birth to six years old, but most of them are three and four years old. Mm-hmm. And they will understand out of this. They will understand when, like one day, one of the kids was 
came to preschool and she was talking about her night before. She had so much fun and she was doing this and that. And she's giving all this detail. And when the, she's telling it to a little boy and he's standing there and you could see this glazed look come over his eyes and his face. And he just looked at her and all of a sudden he just yelled out, get to the point. So he just, it was overload, too much detail. Wow. Start so mm-hmm. early. Yeah. That's it amazing. makes better partnerships though when they know this stuff. So it's different too. Each man is different. So it's really important to actually ask the man, well, how much detail do you really need? That's one way of setting him up to win. Do you need yes. a lot of detail? Because I can give you a lot of detail. Or I could just give you just what you need. And he'll either say, I just need what I need, details, or and the, or he could come back and say, okay, I li- need a little bit more detail. So but me. what if uh, a woman, she has want to speak in the way that the guy gets it. She just wants to speak her heart. How can a guy be there for her? Well, that by partnership is two people coming together, obviously, and working towards a goal. And so if you set it up beforehand and you can say, you can read the signals from each other, right? You can see if she's really in gathering mode and he's really in hunting mode. And then if he is in hunting mode, then she could decide not to issue that day. Or if he's in hunting mode, he realizes that she's in gathering mode and it's important then he might be able to just step away from that hunting mode. But it's really hard if they're producing results to have them step away. That's where the frustration comes in. So a big part of it is the lead on the woman. It's telling, it's having that woman help that man to understand, I might have to gather, I might have to talk a lot. And he can either say, we have this thing called hold the basket. And It works when you have two gatherers. It can work when you have a hunter, but most of the time what happens is the gatherer just talks, 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 and just collects all this. And if you do have a man that's on the other side of that, you can say to him, I just want you to listen to what I have to say and occasionally say, is there anything else? Is there anything else? Because I just need to get that space open. I need to get that out of me. And he can hold the basket. And then when you're done, he can tie it up and he can put it on the side trash and he doesn't have to remember anything because that's the key. There's so many details and most men are afraid, oh my God, what if I miss that detail? Yeah, I do with these kind of guys that uh, have a hard time listening to their, like say uh, a woman has uh, some emotional issue and she wants uh, to share and he's listening to the problem and wants to fix it. And of course, the miscommunication there is painful. So I tell him, You know, you can fix it. And the way to fix it is by listening. Just listen. And that would help. There's actually nothing to fix. You don't really need to fix your wife's feelings. But if you really want to hold to an idea of fixing something, just listen. Yeah. And listening is a key. That's a huge factor. I use the analogy of holding, of um, waiting for your nails to dry. So when you ask a question, you give a little space for the other person to be able to answer that question. Because again, we try to put our two cents in our details and that's not what the other person needs. They need to be able to listen to them. That's a great, great way. I love how you said, Ruth, about that sentence that helps a woman feel like she's being heard and is there anything else? That by itself is really a good sentence to remember, guys. And Shachar, also to help remember, we've discussed this before, this idea of understanding that you're not supposed to fix someone's emotions or feelings and the fact that just listening is what you are requested to do. I think both of them together can actually give someone, right now he's listening, a guy out there 
in Brooklyn, I don't know, listening to this, coming back home and he's ready for listening. He's ready. He knows how to do it. He understands that is actually the goal and it's not something else. That's super cool. I want to also touch another topic that sometimes comes between men and women. And this one is quite on after things doesn't work out really well, then comes this situation where the rage monster shows her face. And the rage monster is like a concept is shared in Alison Armstrong's curriculum. And I want to ask you, Ruth, a little bit, can you explain to us what is the birth of the rage monster? So a rage monster is when a woman actually keeps things in and doesn't share or communicate or doesn't make her needs meant. Men are very happy to three Ps, procreate, protect, and provide. And if they can do those three things for a woman, they can make her happy. And we as women are not as receptive as we should be. And so we don't, we feel like if we tell our needs, then we're going to look like we're needy, but difference between needs and needy. So the rage monster just keeps building up and it starts off as Allison says, as a little dinosaur or dragon and a disconnection of hurt feelings, a disconnection of dishonor. And when those two things happen, that's when the rage monster can be born. And so what happens is women don't like to talk about this because we think we're the only ones that this happens to. Men want to be our heroes. They want to save us from this, but they don't really know why we do this. And what happens is men will use truth and logic in order to help it, but it just makes the situation worse. So in the middle of a woman's chest is the vital organ. It's called our feelings. And when our feelings are hurt, our hearts are open at that point. And as well as our minds. And so we're not guarded. So when our feelings are hurt, it's kind of like a disconnection to our spirit. And this organ just gives you the sharp pain in your chest and you physically can feel the hurt of it and you physically stop breathing. And some women might even curl up in a fetal position, but we basically shut down. It's like this darkness comes over us. And then our vocal cords actually get shut off. We can't even speak. And we can't look at the person that just hurt us. Basically, the possibility of partnership and communication is shut down. So what happens is when a woman gets to this point, she basically is taken over by the rage monster. She has no control over it. And what you see is the rage coming out of her. And as I said, she has no control over it. And usually what happens is everything that's in our head starts to become like a petty file offense file, where we'll use it against once we get our vocal cords back. I actually have an example of this that I'll share with you. It's a personal example. When I got divorced, it was very long and drawn out. And at one point, we kept going back and forth to the courts and the lawyers kept going back and forth. And this one particular day, the lawyers went up to the judge. And then the next thing you know, my lawyer walks out and says, we're all set. And I'm like, what just happened? When we got out to the actual lobby, he tried to explain to me that roundabout way, nothing's going to happen until we finally get the final divorce creed together and that he wasn't going to have to pay anything towards the community debt or our children. And so I stood in the middle there and all of a sudden I just looked at this, at my lawyer and I thought to myself, he's not protecting me. He's not helping me. And then I felt this punch in my gut, like my chest. And then I remembered gasping for air. And then 
all of a sudden I just, my whole body just shut down and I wasn't able to move. I wasn't able to think. And then a friend walked by and said, Ruth, are you okay? And that's when the petty offense files started going in my head. Like everything that came back, like all the pain my children had endured, all flashback. That's when the rage monster came through. And the purpose of the rage monster is really just to annihilate the other person that hurt you. And so my lawyer was in direct contact and all he had to say was, it'll be okay, Ruth, don't worry. And that connected my vocal cords and everything that was in my brain just came spewing out. If he had just said to me, I'm sorry, Ruth, I didn't do my job or I hurt you, it would have knocked down the great monster, but it didn't. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the whole point of it is that if you just have that communication, if you notice when she's starting to get hurt or dishonored, then you can stop it and it doesn't become a rage monster. Women will eventually learn how to do it over the course of time I have, but it's really a terrible thing. And then we feel terrible about it because we just annihilated somebody. So it's not a great feeling and it's not great for the guy because he's at the other end and he has no idea what to do to make it better. Yeah, that sounds a very stressful situation. Exactly. Yes. And so the bottom line is if you can see that she's getting to that point, you can try to just ask, did I do something to hurt your feelings? Because that's acknowledging her. And then she can say, yes, you did such and such, or you dishonored me. The key again is listening. If she says you dishonored me by not standing up for me in court, then he can come back and say, I'm sorry, I dishonored you. And that puts the rage monster to bed that stops the hurt. It's on the road to correcting it. This is a very touchy subject for many. Both men and women are a little bit maybe embarrassed or confused of those type of situations. And I've been there in the situation being annihilated. It's very confusing because you really, you want to support your partner at the same time. You just want to hide or protect yourself. And you know what? First of all, I want to say, Ruth, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry for you going through a hard, long process like that and not being protected. I'm sorry that women all over the world, we hurt their feelings so often. And so we don't mean to do those things, mm -hmm. to hurt people's feelings and to hurt women's feelings especially. But, but we do. And a lot of time, men, they are afraid to apologize. They're afraid because it seems that if we will apologize, it might mean that we are to blame and that yes. we, we will be penalized in some way and we're afraid. Shahar, what do you see in the clinic when you're talking with couples? Do you see the situation where a man will be afraid to apologize? Yeah, often. You know, there's something very vulnerable about saying I'm sorry about uh taking responsibility, you might be, be at fault, you might be blamed. But it's so powerful. Even what you just did, Ziv, huh? this uh, apology to Ruth and to women. Yes, thank you. I'm not a woman and I was touched. And when yeah, it can make it, a huge difference. Yeah, it can. Yeah, yeah it does, right? The, yeah. When you do it with your partner, it, it really changes everything from a rage monster and, uh, I don't know, a hiding runaway guy Two people standing in front of each other, sharing their hearts. It creates intimacy, actually. You turn this huge fight into something more intimate and understanding each other better. 
Yes. I really believe in the power of apologizing and saying sorry, even though it's almost always hard. Right. And it's not when a guy or a girl says, I'm sorry, it's not that they, they're admitting guilt. And I teach that to a lot of my women. It's not women. It's not that they're admitting guilt. It's that they do acknowledge that you got hurt. In my daycare, my children will, it's so easy to see when you physically hurt somebody because you see it, you see a punch or you see whatever, but mentally or emotionally hurting somebody is, you can't see that. And so we have a code word that we use in preschool and that's ouch. And when one of the children says, ouch, the other child knows, oh, I hurt his, I hurt that person's feelings. And then they'll say, well, did I hurt your feelings? What did I do? And that allows them to understand that when you say something, you can be hurtful and you don't mean it. And that allows the open communication to happen. Wow, wow Ruth, you're such a gift to these kids. Thank Seriously. you. Such a powerful communication level. Like, unfortunately, so many adults don't reach the point where they can actually communicate. And this reminds me, Shachar, one of the tactics we discussed on when you're going into a stressful situation, like a family gathering, huh? you can like synchronize a, a, a code for, hey, I need some support, I need some help. And this is like the, the day-to-day uh, version of it. I want to share a quick story about a situation I had with my eight-year-old daughter because I've been aware of the power of apologizing and how it's okay to apologize. So I've been really listening every time she had her feelings hurt by something. Usually the something is actually related to my boy who is five-year-old and He's all over the place. He's five. He's pretty much the king of this house in the way that he behaves, kind of like a young little page that goes and does what he wants and goes on adventures and doesn't really understand what it means that making certain noises might offend his sister or problematic for or just annoying. And I would use the apology with her, trying to get what happened. And she would say, he did this and this. And I would say, I'm so sorry that he did that to you. And just by using the same phrase, you could actually see her body. Like, oh, I'm back. It's good. Someone is sorry about something that I felt. And that immediately helps. But there was like one occasion where we were actually celebrating my wife's birthday. We go every year on her birthday for a studio to get all sorts of pictures of us in the studio. It's like a family thing. And again, the little boy did something that made, uh, oh, he ate a candy from her bag of candies that she had. So she was very upset. And it was, I tried to use the apology. It wouldn't work because it was like too late. It was too much for her. She was like, overwhelmed. She needed a moment. She needed to be there by herself. And it was clear that by apologizing a few times in different ways, trying to make sure that we understand what troubled her, instead of trying to fix it, like saying, oh, we'll get you another candy. Like we will talk to him that he doesn't do that again or something. Like all of those things doesn't help at that point. And, but the combination of really understanding what is it that hurt her feelings to begin with and apologizing and giving some space and eventually she grabbed herself and repositioned herself and went back to the filming. And it's just human nature in a way, in any age. And you get to see not just the rage months, but basically see all sorts of communication hurdles happen in front of you day to day with kids, even 
four, five kids, six years old and three years old, and you're able to teach them all sorts of techniques that can help adults, but just to imagine what a wonderful partners they will make in the future. Thank you for sharing that. I love hearing stories about other children. Yes, yeah, so Ziv, what do you think works with that apology? Is that you actually see her pain? I think that, first of all, just like Ruth said, the pain at that moment is a disconnect between her feelings. Like she feels physically pain or physically in unease. It feels like she cannot connect to herself in a way. So it's kind of like it roots her. It helps her like be connected to herself again. Mm -hmm. And it's very important when you have as a female, as like as a person that is so connected to your feelings. It's so connected, like Ruth said, it's like an extra vital organ in you. And then it's almost like, I think it's obvious that you've hurt her feelings. How come you can't see it? It's like the whole situation is painful. So... Well, we're almost running out of time. So I want, like we can talk about this for a long time. And there's so many other things that you've managed Ruth, to notice, to find out not just about uh, men and women, but also about understanding little men and little women and helping parents understand their own uh, selves and understand communication better with their kids. So someone wants to learn more about you, Ruth, uh, where should they go? They can go to my Facebook page, which is Rekindle with Ruth. And the website is just being birthed. <laughs> that should be up. But if you go to the Facebook page, then you'll be able to get in touch with me. And then and then I can give you email addresses and things like that. And just for the sake, like some people will listen to this episode, who knows when. And so what is the website address so people can take a look when they're listening, it might already be ready. It should be ready in about another month or so. So probably like the end of April, beginning of May. And it's going to just be Ruth Mailey, R-U-T-H-M-A-I-L-L. Awesome. And yeah. just in case, uh, we will put in generousmarriage.com on our show notes for this episode of season two. We will put the link so that people could find easily and we'll give the updates there of the interview and the transcript and everything. So Ruth, thank you so much for sharing with us those two important topics. Understanding communication is just one part of this game, but you actually need to do also, you know, it's the map. Understanding is the map, but you also need to walk, walk the walk inside the communication, inside the partnership. And it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. And uh, you've helped us uh, understand ourselves a little bit and gave us some tools that can help us just making the relationship a little bit generous. So thank you so much. And Shaha, any... Yeah, I just want to add to the gratitude. Thank you, Ruth. You know, I think as a couples therapist, a lot of what I do is not just therapy with couples. I also do a lot of psychoeducation that if they knew about men and women and the differences and all the, the power of, of apology and stuff like that, if someone would have told us that way back, that would save a lot of suffering, a lot of trouble. So really yeah. thank you for doing that and making the world Yes, better. thank you. And it is, it's so important to acknowledge the fact that you can see what mode the other person is in when you can see if they're being driven by instinct 
or by more of human spirit or conscious choice, then you can make better choices to be in partnership because that's where partnership lies. I always tell my kids, what if I use Allison's words, what if nobody is misbehaving? What if the other person's not misbehaving? Man, woman, child, what if they're not misbehaving? What if you just put on a different pair of glasses and tried to see what was behind that and ask questions? Then you could come up with the answers. And many times some of my women will say, well, this guy said such and such to me. What does that mean? Well, why don't you ask him? Every single man will tell you what it is that he means. So just ask him. Who has the answers? He does, right? Beautiful. Same with my children. Who has the answers? The child you have the discrepancy with. The child you're having the, the issue with, right? Wow. Thank you so much for this. This was amazing. I really appreciate the opportunity. Look forward to more in the future. Cool. This is really interesting. We definitely need to touch base in a few months' time and see how it goes because we're trying to help adults. Maybe it's too late. Maybe helping them when they're kids is the way to go and looking forward to how how you do this, Ruth, and um, learning more about that. So we'll put the details in the show notes. Thank you, everyone, for listening for yet another episode of the Generous Marriage Podcast and see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. So many good things to take from this interview with Ruth Maley. I, I, I don't know when to start. I just think it's really important to understand the rage monster, to try to avoid waking her up. But when she does wake up, to put her back to sleep. How do we do that more efficiently, Shachar? Apologizing. You know, we talked a lot about the magic of apologizing. I think that's super important. In, in my clinic, I work with couples a lot. Not a lot, but I work with couples about uh, apologizing because, you know, some people don't like to apologize. It's, it feels too vulnerable to them, too risky. But there's actually magic in that. When you learn to put your defenses aside and apologize, it's vulnerable, yes, but it brings you closer together, you understand each other deeper, it recreates the interpersonal bridge. It's so effective. Yeah, this reminds me of how I had my my first legendary boss that really mentored me and showed me how every time there's any problem with the customer, he would apologize, he would take ownership. And it worked every time again and again. And at a certain point, I even asked him, aren't you afraid of apologizing? Aren't you afraid that you're taking ownership on something that really is in a big chunk of the the fault? It's not even your fault. And he told me that apologizing, it's free. It's free to apologize. And therefore, he would be generous with it. He would be able to give it for free. And I know from my personal experience that I don't mind apologizing at all. But there are some times where I don't apologize the right way. And that is something that we're about to help you guys fix. Not just to know that apologizing is important, but there is a way to do that that you've been exploring as a therapist in your clinic, Shachar. So what did you prepare for us? I prepared a bonus that you can grab on generousmarriage.com, season two, episode nine. And in the bonus, you will learn how to truly apologize the full way. Really worth it. So if you want to learn more about the great apology, uh, go to generousmarriage.com to download the bonus 
of uh, season two, episode nine. And next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast, join us when we interview Monica Jane, a sex and intimacy coach. She has a very amazing uh, point of view and title for herself that uh, just hearing it makes you want to hire her services, even if everything is okay. She's that cool. So you're definitely going to enjoy next week's interview. See you next week, guys, on the Generous Marriage Podcast. Bye. See you next week. Thank you.